Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience and almost daily podcast about anything and everything weather and science and earth science, and sometimes off-topic material that the creator and host finds interesting. I am the creator and host, Andre Brunier. I'm a meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. And in just a moment, we'll get to today's material, and I pray that you will enjoy your time here and to help spread the word about Weather Jazz, now available on most mobile podcast apps, as well as on the website, weatherjazz.com. This episode is being produced via the production tools on our host's server, Anchor.fm. And if you've ever thought of starting a podcast, take a look at Anchor.fm. They make it easy, and best of all, it's free, just like this podcast, Weather Jazz. Hi, everybody. This is episode number 37 for Thursday, January 10th, 2019. And we have awakened to kind of a strange distribution of lake effect snow. Now, all lake effect snows have nuances and strange distributions. The real challenge is trying to forecast what that distribution will be. And often on the air, I liken it to having a handful of confetti and trying to predict where that confetti will land. Now, when you throw it in the air, you know basically where the confetti is going to end up. However, you don't know where the individual pieces will end up. And uh, so it goes with lake effect uh, forecasting. So one word I really don't like to use, unless it really, really applies, is the word surprise. Uh, Now, certain aspects or elements of a forecast may be a bit more eyebrow-raising than the other. In this case, the distribution of snow was that, and we'll talk a little bit about that with morning meteorologist on Fox 8, Scott Sable. But overall, a surprise in the forecast is really somewhat rare. Uh, But uh, when you start talking about little microclimate nuances and especially the minutiae involved in forecasting lake effect snow, you might loosely be able to use that term. So having said that, let's go ahead and join meteorologist Scott Sable from the morning team on WJW as we talk about lake effect snow forecasting. Morning meteorologist Scott Sable is joining me right now on Weather Jazz. And we're going to talk about uh, the situation with the lake effect snow showers. Now, Scott, we've not had a whole lot of lake effect this year. So uh, it's almost like uh, you're getting your your lake effect legs going again. Uh, So uh, every situation is unique in lake effect. So let's talk about this morning's uh, situation because we had uh, two bands. We had an east side band, but we had a more prominent west side band, which was not necessarily a huge surprise. We knew that there would be one, but the intensity of the west side band actually eclipsed the one on the east side for a little while today. Yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting because, you know, you mentioned the uh, the computer models, you know, yesterday morning. So we're going, you know, probably 18 hours beforehand. Um, you know, a lot of the models, when you look at the the reflectivity, meaning the, the future radar, you know, a lot of them really didn't hone in on to that Western band, at least 
in, in, in my time frame when I was, you know, up before sunrise, didn't hone in on it too much. They picked up on the Lake Michigan band, which came in over northern Indiana and down through Finley and Mansfield. And of course, they picked up the primary snow belt. But as quickly as it um, as this whole thing kind of evolved, it, it, it from my vantage point early on, it immediately shifted it further east. And, you know, I'm looking at all the different parameters and I'm thinking, all right, well, this thing just doesn't seem like it's going to be, you know, fairly widespread uh, after sundown. And like you mentioned, uh, immediately there was a, a shift back out to the west and looking at it now. And I'm just kind of looking at some of the, uh, you know, some of the numbers and some of the other um, uh, some some of the model data, you know, of course, hindsight's 2020. I'm wondering because of the strength of the wind and the wind direction, if um, if the models just didn't pick up on that flow off of not only Lake Michigan, you know, but also off of maybe a little bit off of Lake Huron. In other words, the other Great Lakes potentially impacted the western, you know, half of our viewing area more so uh, than they have, you know, in recent events. Um, and it didn't maybe didn't pick up on it until it was almost, you know, at the at the cusp of the event. Mm-hmm. Well, you live in Medina County, so what did you end up with? We ended up with about five inches of snow. Um, I remember, you know, going to bed last night about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and then looking outside and saying, this is coming down pretty good, and it was fairly extensive. You know, it, it was um, kind of a smattering of snow everywhere, and then you started seeing a few of the bands to the west develop. I'm thinking at that point, all right, this is going to start to shut down. It's more system snow with the front, and then we'll start to see the band shift further east. Well, I wake up this morning and I look outside and I was I was really surprised that that mm-hmm. th- those bands continued to stay fairly intense. And uh, even right now, as of this writing or, or recording now at almost noon on Thursday, we still have a, you know, a couple of decent bands of, uh, of snow, um, you know, on the west side. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting uh, right now. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Southwestern Medina County. So you're looking at, you know, almost um, almost an hour's drive southwest of Cleveland. You know, certainly not your traditional primary or secondary snow belt by any stretch. And here I am looking on my deck. I live in West Central Geauga County, not far from the uh, webcam that uh, we have going uh, on the roof of West Geauga High School. And Mm -hmm. uh, our deck has uh, three inches or so. We've uh, really added no snow uh, to when I went to bed last night, uh, there were just uh, some occasional flurries and there might, might've been maybe a, a bit of a dust up on top of that, but not much, uh, considering the bands. So instead of focusing East, most of the accumulating snow overnight was actually West. It was, you know, and, and we always talk about this, um, you know, on the air when we have time, you know, there's different um, flavors of lake effect snow, um, you know, not to overly simplify it, but, you know, a lot of it depends on wind direction. And when you have a westerly wind, you know, the east side gets hammered. Uh, when you have that long fetch off of Lake Erie, you know, the wind direction shifts to the west-northwest, or in this case, right out of the northwest, and you end up getting Lake Huron and the western basin of Lake Erie, which can be a little warmer, um, um little more ice free like right now and you end up getting these bands in areas that typically don't see anywhere the near amount of snow that um you know that the east side gets i remember an event similar to this there were several of them back and i want to say it was like the winter 2010 2011 so we're going back eight or nine years ago um i remember getting remembering waking up to seeing an almost a due north wind and there was lake effect as far south as new philadelphia ohio mm-hmm. um millersburg and the bands were heavy and it was just lined up as if you took a ruler and stretched them out 
from the middle of Lake Erie and up into, um, you know, up into Canada, all the way down through the middle of the state. Um, but, you know, that's I haven't seen an event like that since. I'm sure there have been a few of them. But this one was was something interesting. And what makes it more interesting, too, is the fact that we haven't had much snow at all. So it's almost like this is a, a lake effect event that would have occurred in like um, early November. You know, the way we kind of react to it because we haven't had widespread snow like this in probably a month and a half or longer. Right. Um, now, you mentioned on your Twitter account, and for those that are Twitter uh, folks, your handle is at Scott Sable. Uh, do I have that right? Yep. Yep. Scott Sable Fox 8. Five, okay. Scott Sable Fox 8. So make sure that if you're on Twitter, you follow him because he's got some great tweets. This morning, you mentioned uh, the the fact that virtually all of the computer models, and, and of course, we look at the computer models. These are guidances. They are not gospel. Right. So many people out there uh, that are uh, have a have real interest, a deep interest in meteorology that are not degree meteorologists or professional meteorologists, yet they, they kind of sort of understand the way models run. A lot of people say... Uh, or look at these models as if it's the gospel and, and that uh, whatever it says is going to happen. What, what a lot of people don't understand is that model data is limited only by the input. And so that's where the professional interpretation goes in. And that's where we have to go in and say, okay, are the models doing a good job? And are they not doing a good job? And if they're not doing a good job, how do we adjust so that we produce a forecast that is good? Uh, so you indicated that in this particular case, the model data did not do a very good job at picking up the secondary snow belt uh, band as opposed to the first, because the emphasis was on the first for virtually all of last night. Oh, it was definitely. And, you know, it's interesting because there are so many different um, models that are available now. And, you know, in, in, uh, you know, in the last probably 10 to 15 years due to the increase in, you know, computer processing, you know, not only do you have the government producing computer models like they have since the, the, the inception of computer models, but now you have private industry and that had the computer power to crank out computer models with resolutions that were never available years and years right. ago, yeah. but there's still limitations. You know, I mean, when you look at, you know, especially when you put your, when you put your forecast in the eyes of a viewer, you know, a viewer, let's say here in Medina or a viewer on the near East side, you know, they're looking at the forecast, the psychology here, of course, they're looking at the forecast to what to verify through what's going on in their backyard. And so they're saying, wait a minute, what happened here? You know, their, their, their resolution is, you know, is maybe a few hundred feet, maybe a half of a mile. And, but the computer model resolutions are much greater than that, which is a bad thing. You know, we have computer models here, some of the uh, ones that we use, um, one's called the HRRR that's down to a kilometer. Right. Um, we have the one that we use in-house. Uh, the resolution is almost as good as that, but that's still a kilometer. You know, some of these bands of lake effect can be, you know, even smaller than that um, and with the little nuances embedded within them. So, you know, we do have limitations. I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, in, in my lifetime, we, we start... Um, uh, hopefully there's some computer models out there that can get resolution down to maybe a thousand feet. But like you said, a lot of it has to do with the input. You, you can't use 
crummy data and plug it into a computer model that can look at something down to a thousand feet, you'll get a crummy result. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. so hopefully we can, you know, hopefully these models can assimilate and bring in data that takes into account all the different local features, say here in Northern Ohio, you know, we have our secondary snow belt. There's a secondary snow belt down in Mansfield with the higher terrain down in Ashland and Mansfield, another one in Strongsville, you know, another one in Northern Summit County, um, you know, with ter- the terrain features um, along with the, you know, the East side, all these different parameters, you know, a lot of times these models don't take all that into account. Some of them do, some of them don't to a varying degree, but the, the higher resolution we can get and the more data that we can get into these computer models, um, you know, the, the, the better off I think everyone will be, but I still think we're a long way away from that, unfortunately. Uh, I liken the computer models like a fishnet, uh, whereas initially, back in my early days, when I was going to college, we had the LFM and the LFM2, limited fine mesh, and, and I think the, the, the uh, block size went from 20 kilometers down to 10, and everybody was mm-hmm. like, whoa, really impressive. Right, well, right. Yeah, it was impressive compared to 20, uh, but it was like a giant fishnet. And at 20 kilometers, you'll catch a big shark, but you won't catch, uh, um, for instance, a salmon because it'll just swim right through it. Well, when the net size goes down, well, you'll catch some bigger salmon now, but you won't catch the smaller salmon. And so now we've got the net sizes that are getting smaller and smaller. We're catching more, but you're right. We have to have the means by which to make sure that we initialize the data to the same uh, fine degree, because if you don't, as you mentioned, crummy data, crummy output. Uh, And that's where the human element comes in and human experience. And hopefully uh, we're able to interpret the data at a useful level. No question. And this is one of the things, you know, that I, one of, one of the, you mentioned application and the human element and, and, and trying to take all of this geeky technical science information and making relevant, making it relevant and easy to understand for the viewer when it comes to snowfall, you know, around here and even around the country, um, you know, putting a snowfall forecast sometimes and using one number for one city, you know, 24 hours out, just looking at raw computer data, sometimes you can get burned real quick. And so what I've been doing over the years, and it, it might look like a step back, is maybe, you know, giving more of a range, um, you know, giving a two to four or four to six uh, or, or something to that effect. That way it not only gives you wiggle room as a forecaster, but it also tries to convey that sense of uncertainty to the public without jeopardizing your own credibility. It's a fine line that we all walk as meteorologists, mm-hmm. um, but giving that range and trying to say, look, you know, you know, within this range, in this location, within this range is probably what we're looking at. Um, and because sometimes the computer models, again, will be all over the place and using that sometimes as a guide works. And other times, you know, sometimes we have to kind of smooth it out and make it look a little more um, palatable and make it uh, make the information um, more palatable for the viewer. I've got an idea for the next uh, Lake Effect event. I think as a team, we ought to get together and simply put out a forecast that says anywhere from a dusting to 24 inches. What do you to think? 24. <laughs> That's great. It's funny because two years ago, we had a Lake Effect event and I, and I saved the, um, uh, the snowfall total map that the Weather Service put out. And um, if you're familiar with the east side, any of your listeners, um, uh, it was Kirtland had 28 inches of snow 
Shaker oh, Heights had three. That's got to be November of 1996. I uh, 90, and, yeah, and there was another one a couple of years ago, actually, in 2016 mm. or 17. It was similar to that. But yeah, the 96 one, the same thing. You had a spot that had feet of snow. And within about 15 minutes down the road, there was hardly anything to, to, to shovel off. There's oh, exactly. no way, a, you know, no yeah. way a computer model is going to pick up on that. It, no way back then or now, unfortunately. No. No, in November of 96, uh, uh, my beautiful bride, Sally, was pregnant with uh, our son-to-be, Noah, at the time. Uh, and um, I was literally on my roof shoveling the snow off of it because it was creaking so bad. We had 30 oh. inches of snow. And Bill Martin, um, who's our news anchor out on the west side, called me up and he said he was uh, playing putt-putt on his lawn. Oh, that's <laughs> was, too, that is too funny. No snow. Yeah, no snow there, and we had 30. And, of course, uh, it was uh, Chardon uh, that had uh, 70, didn't they? The, yeah, it, it was somewhere in the order of, of double of what we had. And, of course, we right, had right. cabins and, and all kinds uh, of crazy stuff like that. I remember that vividly because I was working at Brook Lake for an airport, and I was doing working for a, a weather consulting company. And I didn't sleep for 62 hours. We were we were on call and it continued wow. to snow. And I remember that. And, you know, when you're young, you're thinking, oh, this is good. And see how long I can go without sleep. Well, mm -hmm. you know, now there's no way I would do that. And, you know, you kind of get delirious. You're not making good, good decisions when it came to the, 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 the forecast and all that. Right. But it was it was something I hope I don't ever have to go through again. It was just bands over and over and over again for it must have been three, four, five days. I can't remember. Oh, it's just like last year for Erie, Pennsylvania in the month of December right. when they were just lambasted over and over and over again. They had feet and feet and feet and feet. And uh, right. by the time you worked your way down to uh, Ashtabula, uh, there, there really really wasn't much going on. It's, so it's a, it's a very, very fine line. Hey, Scott, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll, we'll touch bases again anytime you have something uh, interesting going on. Absolutely, Andre. Have a great day. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast today. And if you're listening via a mobile podcast app such as Breaker, Overcast, Google Podcast, or iTunes, among the many that are out there, remember to subscribe to Weather Jazz so that you'll automatically download the new episodes as I am able to upload them. And please take a moment to offer a review, and every single one of those reviews helps to get the word out. If you'd like to contact me with a question, a comment, or a program idea, I look forward to hearing from you. The best and the fastest method is via email. My email address is simply weatherjazz at yahoo.com. Weatherjazz and weatherjazz.com is copyrighted, and the Weatherjazz signature is a registered trademark, all rights reserved. I look forward to being with you soon with a brand new episode right here on Weatherjazz.